fails me here. Yes, we have four more chapters. So we have four more chapters in First Samuel. And so we're going to um, we'll read two today and then we're going to read two tomorrow. And then that'll be it. We'll be done with First Samuel. Isn't that cool? We'll be done with First Samuel. This is what we do here. Um, we are committing to the reading of the word. We're committing um, to the reading of scripture. This is the read and rant family. And imagine, just, just think about this. It's just how much scripture we've gotten through. Just simply committing 20 to 30 minutes a day. How much scripture we've been able to get through. We've gone through the entire New Testament together. Just journeyed through the entire New Testament. And now we're journeying through the entire Old Testament, reading every word of the Old Testament together and journeying it, journeying through that in reflection. And so we've gone through now Matthew, uh, sorry, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. And now we're finishing first and second, first Samuel, and then we're going to get into second Samuel. Um, and so that's just, that's just exciting to see that we've been able to come together to gather in the word. I want to preface by saying this, that, um, I'm, I'm praying I have access to where I'm going. Um, I'm going to a ministry leaders, a global ministry leaders retreat, uh, next week. And it's in San Diego, but it's like out in, you know, about an hour away from San Diego. So even though I'm landing in San Diego, it's about an hour and away, out and away. And so I'm not entirely sure if there'll be internet access. I'm praying there will be. Now, if there isn't, um, I'll find a way to at least connect with you guys to let you guys know, hey guys, I won't be able to host the Read and Rant on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, but I'll be back on Thursday and then we can get back on it again. Um, on Thursday. And so I just wanted to throw that out there to make sure, you know, you guys know ahead of time because some of you sometimes have to leave early after the rant. But let's get right into it, y'all. We're going to pray and then we're going to read uh, 1 Samuel 27. Father, we just ask that you would be with us today. Lord, bless us in this time, Lord, as we engage in your word. Lord, I just thank you for the family that you brought here. <laughs> Father, I thank you that you brought us all together, this this blended family, this this unique family Lord, of people from all ethnicities and, and nationalities and races who are coming together to read your word, Lord, from all around the world in, in different time zones, Lord, coming together to read the word. I just thank you, Lord, that we've become a family here, that we've uh, joined together in community. And I just, I'm just in awe of the power of your word and what your word does and bringing all mankind. I see the reconciling power of your word, even as we come together. So Father, just bless us today. Lord, as we engage in it, Lord, speak to us today um, through your word as we engage in it. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. First Samuel 27. First Samuel 27. I'm going to read 27 and 28. Maybe 29. We'll see. Um, and we'll, we'll see where the Lord leads. Okay. <clears throat> and it says this. And David said in his heart, now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. And Saul will despair of me to seek me anymore in any part of Israel. So I shall escape out of his hand. Then David arose, went over the 600 men. So I went over with the 600 men who were with him to Akish, the son of Malk, king of 
Gath. So David dwelt with Achish in Gath. He and his men, each man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam, and uh, uh, the Jezreelites, the, sorry, the Jezreelites, and Abigail, the Carmelites, Nabal's widow. And it was told Saul that David fled to Gath, so he sought him no more. And David said to Akish, if I've found favor in your eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? Akish gave him Ziklag that day. Therefore, Ziklag had belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. Now, the time that David dwelled in the country of the Philistines was one full year and four months. And David's men went up and raided the Geshurites, the Gerzites, sorry, and the Amalekites. For these nations were the inhabitants of the land from of old, as you go to Shur, even as far as the land of Egypt. Whenever David attacked the land, he left neither man nor woman alive, but he took away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the apparel, and returned and came to Akish. Then Akish would say, where have you made a raid today? And David would say, against the southern area of Judah or against the southern area of the uh, Jerumelites and against the southern area of the Kenites. David would save neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, saying, lest they should inform on us, saying, thus David did. And thus was his behavior all the time he dwelt in the country of the Philistines. So Akish believed David, saying, he has made his people of Israel utterly abhor him. Therefore, he will be my servant forever. Hmm. 28. Now it happened in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for war to fight with Israel. And Akish said to David, you assuredly know that you will go out with me to battle, you and your men. So David said to Akish, surely you know what your servant can do. And Akish said to David, therefore, I will make you one of my chief guardians forever. Now, Samuel had died and all Israel had lamented for him and buried him in Ramah in his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. Then the Philistines gathered together and came and encamped in Shunem. So Saul gathered all Israel together and they encamped in Gilboa. When Saul saw the enemy of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, find me a woman who is a medium that I may Go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, In fact, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other clothes. And he went with the two men with him. And they came to the woman by night and said, Please conduct a seance for me and bring up for me the one I shall name to you. Then the woman said to him, Look, you know what Saul has done how he has cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? 
And Saul swore to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. And the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice, and the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. And the king said to her, Do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. And he said to her, What is his form? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel. And he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. Now Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am deeply distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God has departed from me and does not answer me any more, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore, I have called you that you may reveal to me what I should do. Then Samuel said, so why do you ask me, seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy? And the Lord has done for him as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Therefore, moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Immediately, Saul fell full length on the ground and he was dreadfully afraid because of the words of Samuel. There was no strength in him for he had eaten no food all day and or all night. The woman came to Saul and saw that he was severely troubled and said to him, Look, your maidservant has obeyed your voice and have put my life in my hands and heeded the words which you spoke to me. Now, therefore, please heed also the voice of your maidservant and let me set a piece of bread before you and eat that you may have strength when you go on your way. But he refused and said, I will not eat. So his servants together with the woman urged him and he heeded their voice and he arose from the ground and sat on the bed. Now the woman had a fatted calf in the house and she hastened to kill it and she cooked flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread from it. So she brought it before Saul and his servants and they ate. Then they arose and went away that night. Give me one second here. Sorry guys, hope we're back. Um, first Samuel verse 20, chapter 29, and then we'll close with our time in reading today. Then the Philistines gathered together with the, with their armies at Ephek and the Israelites encamped by a fountain, which is in Jezreel. And the Lords of the Philistines passed in review by hundreds and by thousands, but David and his men passed in review at the rear with a kish. And the princes of the Philistines said, what are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish and said to the princes of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me these days or these years? And to this day I have found no fault in him since he defected to me. But the princes of the Philistines were angry with him. So the princes of the Philistines said to him, Make this fellow return, that he may go back to the place 
which you have appointed for him. And do not let him go with us to battle, lest in the battle he become our adversary. For with what could he reconcile himself to his master, if not to the heads of these men? Is this not David, of whom saying to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? Then Akish said to David, Sorry, then Akish called David and said to him, Surely as the Lord lives, You've been upright and you're going out and you're coming in with me in the army is good in my sight. For to this day, I have not found evil in you since the day of you coming to me. Nevertheless, the lords do not favor you. Therefore, return now and go in peace that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. So David said to Akish, but what have I done? And to this day, what have you found in your servant as long as I have been with you? that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my Lord, the king. And Akish answered and said to David, I know that you are as good in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the princes of the Philistines have said, he shall not go up with us to battle. Now, therefore, rise early in the morning with your master servants who have come with you. And as soon as you are up early in the morning and have light, depart. So David and his men rose early to depart in the morning to return to the land to return to the land of the Philistines and the Philistines went up to Jezreel. We're going to stop here. Um, I'm tempted to just finish it <laughs> and, uh, and just share some thoughts that I have. You know what? That's what we're going to do. We're going to finish it. We're going to finish it. Because I have a lot of thoughts, but, but let, let's finish it. Now it happened. So First Samuel chapter 30. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city and there it was burned with fire. And their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. And David and the people who were with them lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because of the soul Sorry, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, saying, Pursue, you shall over you shall surely overtake them, without fail, recover all. So David went, he and six hundred men who were with him, and came to the brook Besor, where there stayed who were sorry, where those stayed who were left behind. But David pursued he and four hundred men, for two hundred stayed behind, who were so weary that they could not cross the brook Besor. And he found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David and he led him with bread and ate and 
let him drink water, and they gave him a piece of cake and figs and two clusters of raisins. So when he had eaten, his strength came back to him, for he had not eaten bread nor drink, drunk water for three days and three nights. Then David said to him, To whom do you belong, and where are you from? And he said, I am a young man from Egypt, servant of an Amalekite. My master left me behind because three days ago I fell sick. We made an invasion in the southern area of the Cherethites, in the territory which belongs to Judah, and the southern area of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. David said to him, How can you take me, how can you take me down to this troop? So he said, Swear to me by God that you will neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you down to this troop. When he had brought him down, there were spread out all over the they were spread out all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. Then David attacked them from twilight until evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. So David discovered all the Amalekites that all that, sorry. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away and David rescued his two wives and nothing was theirs and nothing of theirs was lacking, neither small or great sons or daughters, spoil or anything which they had taken from them. David recovered all. Then David took all the flocks and herds that they had driven before the uh, those other livestock and said, this is David's spoil. Now David came to the 200 men who had been so weary that they could not follow David, whom they had also made to stay at Brook Besor. So they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless men of those who went with David answered and said, because they did not go with us, they will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except for every man's wife and children, that they may lead them away and depart. So David said, my brethren, you shall not do so with what the Lord has given us. He has preserved us and delivered us into uh, and delivered into our hand the troop that came against us. For who will heed you in this matter? But as his part is who goes down to battle, so shall his part be who stays by the supplies. They shall share alike. So it was from that day forward that he made it a statute and an ordinance for Israel to this day. Now, when David came to Ziklag, he sent some of the spoil to the elders of Judah, to his friends saying, here's a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord to those who were in Bethel, those who were in Ramoth of the south, those who were in Jatir, those who were in Arar, those who were in Sifmoth, those who were in Eshtemoa, those who were in Rakal, those who were in the cities of the Jeramilites, those who were in the cities of the Kenites, those who were in Horma, those who were in Chorishan, those who were in Athach, and those who were in Hebron, and to all the places where David himself and his men were accustomed to rove. There's so much here. Last chapter. 
Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. Then the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons. And the Philistines killed Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malkishua, Saul's sons. The battle became fierce against Saul. The archers hit him, and he was severely wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore, Saul took a sword and fell on it. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul, his three sons, his armor bearer, all his men died together that same day. And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those who were on the other side of Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook the cities and fled. And the Philistines came and dwelt in them. So it happened the next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain that they fought Saul and his three sons falling on Mount Gilboa. And they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent word throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim it in the temple of their gods and among the people. <laughs> they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. Now, when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and traveled all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan. And they came to Jabesh and burned them there. Then they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree at Jabesh and fasted seven days. Um, hold on one second. Sorry, IG fam. I don't know why it keeps doing that. It keeps pausing it. Um, we just finished First Samuel, and I I hope you guys uh, who've been journeying with me who can see what's transpiring here. Uh, you, we've got now. You know, we've gone through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, uh, Deuteronomy. We've read Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First. Samuel. We've now finished the book of First Samuel. Um, and tomorrow we'll introduce you to Second Samuel. I figured let's just finish it and let's get through it. And I want to share a few thoughts. And maybe tomorrow I'll also take the opportunity to share some more thoughts on First Samuel as we uh, ramp up and prepare ourselves for what the Lord has for us in Second Samuel. But if you have been journeying with us, I pray that this has been a powerful experience for you because there's a lot of people who haven't really read the whole Bible story, the whole biblical narrative. And so this is what I'm praying for, at least, is that this is giving you a bigger picture, a broader picture of the grand story of, um, you know, there are details to these stories that sometimes we just we're just not aware of that we that we haven't been taught or haven't been told. Um if there's anything that we're left in and what the book of Ruth, sorry, what the book of Judges leaves us in as we've been journeying 
is this tension, right? The children of Israel who were called to be this nation of priests that would bring the righteousness and justice on earth, this nation of priests who would establish the kingdom of God on earth, this nation of priests who would bring healing and restoration to the world. These people have fallen into decline at the moment in time when they've reached the promised land. And these people now, as Judges ends at their point of decline, it closes with the verse that there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's how the book of Judges closes. The book of Judges is about how the people who are called and set apart to be the image of God on earth and to bring righteousness and justice on earth, these people became the Canaanites. They became influenced by the Canaanites and now there was no distinction between them because the difference between Israel and the difference between Canaan was that in Canaan, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And now Israel has become Canaan. There was no king in Israel. And so Judges closes with this tension that there's no king in Israel. There's no king. Israel needs a king. Israel needs a king. Israel needs a king. And so the whole point of the book of Ruth is how God is preparing a king. So while Judges ends with there is no king in Israel, that everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. Ruth is the story of how God's plan is still at work and that he's establishing kingship. There's a king to come. And so Ruth is giving us uh, the picture of what's happening while these people are falling into decline. That God's got a story that he's doing and he's enacting through Ruth that would now bring restoration that the king is to come. There is a king coming. And so what Ruth does is, is that Ruth ends with the genealogy of David to show the continuity of the, 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 the salvific redemptive work of God, right? The salvific redemptive work of God. I'm going to talk about that in a minute, uh, Jay. Um, and, and in that work, that salvific work, there's a bloodline. And, and through this bloodline, he's bringing restoration because it's actually through this bloodline that he's instituting and he's establishing a king because he's going to fulfill the promise that he gave to Abraham, that he's bringing order and restoration through his seed. It's going to come by his seed and that he will father many nations. I say all that because First Samuel is about now the work that Israel now is engaging in to find that king. Israel wants to see that king. And yet Israel first begins with the king that they want. And remember how 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 first Samuel opens up. Samuel, even though they even though he coronated Saul, Saul looked the part of the king. Saul acted the part of the king. Saul lived the part of the king. Saul Saul was 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 he 
He looked the part, played the part, spoke the part, acted the part. He looked the part. This was the guy. And yet he had these profound character flaws. This king was not a good enough king. This king was selfish. This king was self-seeking. And, and, and now we've seen now this, what happens when you've been given power and position. You've been given a grace to take on a role. And yet you're still consumed with yourself. Prideful and self-seeking. And in the end, you see this decline of Saul. And so three years, Saul wasn't even king for, for very long. Three years into his, his kingship, it was already prophesied to him that, his, that he's been disqualified from his role and that a replacement was already set aside, which we already knew from the book of Ruth because they gave us the genealogy of David all the way up to Jesse. So David was going to be the replacement. Saul goes and he anoints David. And now we begin to see this tension between David and Saul, David and Saul, David and Saul. And, and so this part of the text, this, this ending of this text is really about the finality of a transition of power because the one who was called king was not a good enough king. He just wasn't a good enough king. He didn't, he didn't fulfill the role. He didn't fulfill the role. And yet God had a replacement through David and now David is beginning to show, pay very close attention here, remnants also of brokenness. That David, while he was a man after God's own heart, he still fell short of being the redeemer of Israel. Oh, he loved the Lord and he loved God, but there's still some deficiencies in David. And now we're beginning to see these things creeping in. We're seeing it creep in. We're seeing it creep in. We're seeing it creep into the life of David. And now David, it's interesting when we talk about David and running. He goes and he runs and he's running from Saul. Saul, because he's lost his connection with God, is chasing after who he now knows is his replacement, David. And I'd said this before, that from the moment that Saul looked at David and he focused on David, that was the beginning of the demise and the decline of his kingdom. Remember, I reminded you guys from last week, uh, from the last time when we were reading this, that, that Saul's decline came because Saul was not focused on the kingdom anymore. He was focused on David. And because he wasn't focused on the kingdom that God had given him, and that he was focused on David, in the process, he lost the kingdom. He was worried about the person who would replace him. And in the end, he loses the kingdom. We see now this decline of a man who started off so well. Saul started off good, y'all. Like when you think about it, man, there's no better way to start. Saul started off good. This, this, this attractive man, this, this good looking man who was tall and who played the part and people loved him and they celebrated when he became king and then now to see how it ends for him it ends with suicide it ends with suicide and not only has he died but his sons have died and among them is jonathan Jonathan, Jonathan, the man who loved David, 
Jonathan, who told David that once David acquires the kingdom, he will be there by his side. Jonathan, who loved David like his own soul. Jonathan. Jonathan dies because of his allegiance to something he didn't believe in. Did you guys hear what I just said? Jonathan died because of an allegiance that he had to something he didn't believe in. He didn't believe in his father's kingdom. He didn't believe in his father's calling. And in the end, Jonathan dies because he's because he's allegiant for allegiance sake. He's got an allegiance for allegiance sake. He's, he's loyal for loyalty sake. And even though he knows that what's going on right now in his circle isn't good, but he's going to be loyal. Yes, I'm going to be loyal. I'm going to, I'm going to stick with Saul. I'm going to stick with Saul. I'm going to stick with my dad. He chose family over calling. Chose family over mission. He was, he was loyal and he died for his loyalty. Jonathan, who knew that David would be the king of Israel, and David even had offered the opportunity for him to come spend time with him and to be with him, and yet Jonathan returned back to his father. Jonathan knew his father had fallen into absolute madness because he was so obsessed with David. Jonathan knew that this was going to fall apart, and yet he chose his alliance with his father because often what happens is for many of us we like to be loyal for loyalty's sake we celebrate loyalty to loyalty and he chose family over calling there's some people even today i'm sorry if i say this and it's gonna make some people uncomfortable there's some people today you're falling apart because of who you're allegiant to who you have your allegiance to you're falling apart because of who you're loyal to the problem isn't you. The problem is the fact that you have made loyalty an idol that puts you in the position of those who are falling apart. And because now you find yourself proximate to toxicity and proximate to toxic situations that you have now fallen, you're now falling apart. We have, we have this, 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 this obsession with loyalty as if loyalty is everything. We've been taught you got to be loyal. Or you, we've said statements like blood is thicker than water, even though we don't hear the rest of the statement. <laughs> we say things like blood is thicker than water. No, 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 no. My friend, understand, even Jesus understood that the mission always proceeded and took precedence over the family. Even when Jesus' mother came to him, he said, who is my mother and who is my brother? It's those who do the will of my father who are, who is my mother and my brother. There's some people today. That the reason why you can't grow and the reason why you're falling apart and the reason why you find yourselves in a dead situation is because you've got, you've got an allegiance to a people or to a group of people or to family or loyalty to family that now prohibits your growth. Not only does it prohibit your growth, but it's also accelerating your demise. It's sad because Jonathan knew how he would end and Jonathan wanted to be with David Ah, but Jonathan was loyal to his father. Jonathan loved David, but he chose Saul 
over David. And I have a question for some of you today, and maybe some of you understand what I'm talking about because some of you are still wrestling with this. There's some people today, the reason why you're not growing is because you've got commitment and allegiance to family members and to people who are who are toxic, to people who are destructive. And the only reason why you're there is because society or culture told you that you need to be loyal to those people. It's family. I can't, I can't leave family. This, these are friends. I grew up with these people. Isn't it funny how we will choose familiarity over our purpose? As if those who are familiar to us are family. I'm sorry, y'all. I'm sorry, y'all. I, I just have to make sure I have to bring this up because there are people today that the reason why they're stuck the reason why they can't move and the reason why they can't grow is because they've got this false sense of, of, of dignity or of, of value that comes out of simply your loyalty to toxic people. Yeah, I know he's kind of messed up and I know, you know, this person's really not all there, but that person doesn't have anybody else. No, no, no. That person needs me in this season. I need to be there for them. And I know they're kind of messing up, even they're messing up my life, but, but I, you know, I need to be there for them because, you know, I mean, who else is going to be there for them? I know they're making, they just make continually bad decisions all the time. And, and, and I find myself getting caught up in all this, the, the shenanigans that they get caught up in. And I know sometimes being with them keeps me from wanting to pray because then when I'm with them, I get in this mood and this spirit that doesn't even want me to even seek the Lord anymore because, because it's just, just where they're at. But, but who else is going to be there for them? I need to be there for them as if you can save people. There's a false sense of people thinking I can fix this. And I think what Jonathan wanted to be was a mediator. Jonathan somehow thought that maybe he can fix this. So I'm going to spend time having dinner with Saul, but then I'm going to sneak out into, into the, into the wilderness and I'm going to spend some time with my fam, David as well. So I'm going to carry both sides because even though they're against each other, I love both of them. But the question is, is not whether you love them both. The question is, where is your allegiance? This is not about, do, does he prefer David over Saul? That's not what it's about. It's about your destiny. And some people are making not destiny connections, they're making familial connections. So you will sacrifice your purpose, your identity, your calling, simply because you want to remain loyal. There are people who've lost so much in life because they had to stick with family. Stick with my friends. We've been together all the time. I ain't going to be the sellout. I'm not going to sell nobody out. That's fine. You can live that life and go to the grave with those who are dying in it. I had a friend that I knew. Good guy. Just a good guy. Man, he was... So he was this big, huge, intimidating, like just big dude. You know what I mean? Like he was just, he was intimidating. I ain't going front. He was an intimidating looking dude, but man, the man had a soft heart. He had a soft heart. I remember when we were in middle school, uh, we were outside uh, of a high school and we were walking and this is when I was in the hood. I used to live in the hood. And when I was, when I was uh, in middle school, 
Um, you know, I'm walking, we're walking down the street and, and, uh, we get to, uh, Fort Lauderdale High School and there's a, there was a bird that was dying in the corner and he sees this bird and he just starts to cry. He's like, oh my God, the bird. I'm like, what are you doing right now? He's like, he's like, do you think this bird, I remember when he told me this in middle school, he's like, do you think, do you think this bird's going to go to heaven? Like what's, where's this bird going to go? And I remember just being real blunt with him because this is just where I, you know, I, I tend to be very blunt sometimes. Often, I tend to be very blunt. And I said to him, uh, that, that bird ain't going nowhere, bro. That, that bird, that bird is, that's it right there. And this bird is dying. He's like, so this is it for the bird? And I was like, yeah, 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 this is, this is it. Like he, he's going back to the ground and, uh, the worms are going to eat him and that's it. He, he's done. And I remember, I remember him just crying and, and, and weeping. And I was like, is this, is this dude serious? Like, it's really not that serious. I mean, the guy just had a soft heart. Um, he was this big, massive, intimidating looking guy. But he had this really, really soft heart. But he also had family who, this is, put it simply it just weren't the kind of people that you should be around um these guys weren't living the best life they weren't let me tell you something it just they weren't good people <laughs> i'll just put it this way and i remember you know i remember them always getting into trouble because he was always with them and they were always together i remember um they would go to you know, the convenience store. And a few times they would get caught, you know, um, stealing at the convenience store. And then they started stealing at Kmart. And he would tell me all the time, I didn't do anything. I was just, that's my family. I can't leave my family. That's fam. I, I'm with my fam. That's where they are. That's where I'm at. I got to be with my fam. And I just think to himself, man, listen, this, this family first thing, you, you're taking it to a place that's toxic, my brother. Like you take it to a place that, that's not healthy for you. And he was always, then we were in middle school, you know, and then we went to high school and then they got, it got progressively worse. Next thing you know, they're, you know, selling drugs and they're stealing cars and they're doing all kinds of stuff. And I used to tell him like, bro, like, are you doing these things? And he's like, nah, but you know, I just kind of get caught up, you know, I just kind of get caught up, you know, cause I'm, I'm with them and, Sometimes I don't even know what's going on, but I'm just, that's fam. I can't leave fam. And I said to him, I said to him, man, listen, you know, you got to rethink this, this thing about fam because fam's going to get you in trouble. <laughs> like, fam going to get you in trouble. Long story short, um, they got caught, um, ro robbery and, you know, it was, uh, they call it bussing licks where I'm from. And so he got him and his fam, which it wasn't even planned. Him and his fam had broken into a house and in breaking into the house, apparently the alarm had gone off. Silent alarm went off. Silent alarm went off. Cops showed up and uh, I believe it was his cousin started shooting back at the cops and he started shooting back at the police. Mind you, my friend doesn't have a weapon. He didn't even, I remember uh, having conversations with him afterwards. He didn't have a weapon. He didn't have anything. He was just with his fam that day. He thought they were just going to go chill and vibe. 
and here he is caught up in this situation and he kind of just followed along because that's fam long story short he was um he was arrested um he was arrested for robbery for uh and, and for well for armed robbery because even though he wasn't armed with a weapon they kind of told him hey you know, we already have charges, so can you take the charge for us? Because that's what family does. And so he took the charge for him, and he did 20 years in prison. And all I can think about is, and I think he had gotten out of prison uh, about a year or so ago. And I remember having conversations with him while he was there. And, you know, he used to tell me... Um, you know, uh, and this is like a year ago. He had a conversation with me. He just said to me, I, I just don't know what to do anymore. Like, I I feel like a child in this world because I don't even know how the world functions anymore. Before, before you know, when I got arrested, Facebook didn't even exist. And now here I am in this world and I don't even know how to function in it. Long story short, he actually purposely committed a crime so he can go back to prison because he felt safer in prison than out here because he did not know how to function as a human being in this world. I only say this story to say to you that the whole trajectory of this man's life was shifted simply because he chose allegiance to Saul. Because he was allegiant to Saul, he actually did more time than all the other family members. And so when they went down, he went down with them and he suffered with them. So we've got to rethink what this means because even Jesus, the whole family first way of thinking is not even a Jesus teaching. Jesus even told his own mother, he said, your mother is calling you. And Jesus said, who is my mother and who are my brothers? He said, it's them that do the will of my father. They are my mothers and they are my fathers. Don't be Jonathan. I'm sorry, I just had to say that. Don't be Jonathan. You need to choose who you have allegiance to because some of the people that you guys are allegiant to are the very people that are propelling and propagating your demise. That's one note. But that's not really... Man, this is such a complex part of the scripture because we're seeing a transition happen. But the part I think that should stick out to a lot of you, and I think that's the, man, there's just so much here. Oh. Chapter 28. I just want to talk a little bit about this. Uh, chapter 28 is, is a complicated, a relationally complicated portion of scripture. We see Saul, who now is in complete demise. Saul is, this is it. The end is near for Saul. And Saul knows it. He knows the end is near because Saul was so focused on David, he lost his kingdom. They were, you gotta remember, as Saul was out chasing around David, Right, as Saul is chasing David and trying to find David and kill David, as he's trying to do this, as he's doing this, remember what kept him from from staying is because the Philistines would come in and attack, and they were gaining ground on him 
simply because he was so focused on David. <laughs> he was so focused on David that the Philistines were gaining ground on him. The Amalekites were gaining ground on him. And so now Saul finds himself, he, he finds the whole world caving in on him. And Samuel has died. And I think this part of the text is really interesting to me because it says in uh, in chapter 28, verse 6, and that's my final point, verse 6, it says, And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. There's a lot to unpack there, but I just want to leave you with a thought. Saul had already lost connection with God. Saul was far from God. And then Saul says to his servants, find me, watch this in verse 7, find me a woman who is a medium that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, in fact, there is a woman who is a medium and endure. Now, mind you, Make sure you understand what's happening here. Mind you, he's in a season now where he's looking for a medium because he has not heard from God. But in a time when he heard from God, watch this. Look what the previous verse says in verse 3. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had lamented for him and buried him in Ramah in his own city. And Saul had put mediums and spiritists out of the land. When Saul heard from God, he had put the mediums and the spiritists, the psychics, out of the land. Because the psychics have no place in a place where God dwells where the voice of God is speaking, there is no need for a psychic. Where the voice of God is speaking, there is no need for a medium. Where the voice of God is speaking, there is no need for spiritists and spiritualists, and those who are evoking spirits to garner information. This is very important, family, because there are people today who are now engaging in aberrant spiritual activity, even in the church. They're burning sages. They're evoking spirits. They're calling ancestors. They're, call they're going to psychics. They're going to mediums. They're going and they're speaking and they're looking for information and spiritual information. Anybody who does that is proving evidence that they have ceased to hear from God. Because when you hear the voice of God, you know that the voice of God takes precedence over any other voice. But for people who, the moment that I hear somebody evoking these spirits and, and doing all these things, it's evidence that your spirit is not good. It's evidence that you have been disconnected from God. It's evidence that something is broken in you. And it's evidence that there's a failure of a desire to repent. Because for most people who are seeking spirits or seeking psychics are not actually seeking a relationship with God.
What they're seeking is for information that'll help preserve them or help propagate them or promote them to whatever it is they desire to do. We call that demonic wisdom. The one in which a person seeks to simply glorify themselves or elevate themselves or preserve themselves or bring themselves up. It's about themselves. It is a familiar spirit. It's a demonic spirit. Remember what the enemy tempted us with. He did not tempt us with things that we did not desire. He always tempts us with what, what, what we desire. Remember what the devil, what the, what, what, what the enemy, what, this, what Satan uh, tempted Eve with in the garden. He did not tempt Eden with something that wasn't there. He tempted Edom with something that was already there. What he tempted her with was herself. And often I think we, we, we're forgetting that the root of all demonic wisdom, demonic knowledge, and the force of Satan comes out of the glorification of self. It comes out of the id. It comes out of the ego. It comes out of me, myself, and I. And for many people, you fall into the same temptation that Eve fell into. That he said, when you eat of this fruit, you will be like God. And the reality is, is we don't want to be submitted to God. We actually want to be like God. We want God to work for us. We want God to do for us what we need to do. We want to experience our best life. We want our life. We want our life in our way. We don't want to be responsible for anything. We don't want to be subject to anything. We don't want to be um, beneath anything. We don't want to be responsible to anything. We simply want to live our own life and be able to garner whatever spiritual information that we need in order to make us feel better about ourselves or to elevate ourselves. It is the work of the enemy and it is the rules of the enemy because when you hear from God, God. You can only hear from God when you let go of your pride. You can only hear from God when you let go of selfishness. You can only hear from God when you get over yourself and say, Lord, I do not live for me, but I live to glorify you. No, no, no. We live in a day and age today where people want to glorify themselves. We live in a day and age today where people are simply seeking their best life. We live in a day and age today where the kind of God that they want is a God who will be a genie for them, who will do for them what they need. Give me my revelation give me my healing and God I'm gonna go about my way and this is the evidence and proof of that because we're quick as religious people to call out people who are doing things that they shouldn't be doing but the moment we stop hearing from God we fall into the same thing that everybody else is doing notice that Saul had a problem with mediums and he had a problem with spiritists in the land when he was hearing from God but the moment that he could not hear from God he called on the he called on the spiritists he called on the medium. I need to speak on this because Saul's demise came out of his disconnection and his disconnection came out of his pride and selfishness. And I came to convict somebody who's watching this because there's some Christians who are going to psychics not realizing they're evoking spirits in their life. There are Christians who are into horoscope and into all these other spiritual or into new age stuff. There's this new age Christianity out there now. There's this Christianity of people who want to be influenced by all these other things that are going on. And that's why I, I did a TikTok not too long ago about the fact that I, I believe now what's happening is, is that more people want to live their own truth and only put spirituality in it as it fits for them. That is Satanism. And that's why there are Satanists that can be pastors. That's why there are Satanists who can be priests. 
<laughs> That's why in the Catholic Church, they can practice voodoo and they can also be a priest because Satanism is not the foregoing of the existence of God. It's to find God within yourself and to evoke whatever the spiritual information is that helps preserve and sustain and elevate your life today. That is not Christianity. As a matter of fact, the Christian life is not one of life preservation, but it's about sacrifice. It's about giving up your life. It's about losing yourself for the glory of God. That is what Satanism is about. And that's why I believe that there's all this demonic influence and demonic activity and self-glorification that has now entered into the church today because people want to live their own truth, live their own life, do their own thing. And then they wonder why they can't rest at night. And they think if they light some candles and evoke some spirits that they will find rest. And this is Saul. Saul from the gate was living a life of pure anxiety and unrest because he was disconnected from God. Oh, he was religious. I'm okay with keeping the mediums and the spiritists out up until I don't have information. And I need some information right now. Look at Saul. Saul wants information. He actually doesn't want transformation. He wants information. Oh my gosh, I'm over time, family. Is it okay if I do another five, 10 minutes because I want to make sure I get all this out. I'm sorry if I'm over time, uh, but I need to get this out because there are some people today that what they want is information. They don't want transformation. They want to still live their best life. They want, they want to still live in their own way. They still want to do their own thing. They need God to help them live the best life that they can live. And yet God says you need to lose your life. Actually, you cannot gain it unless you lose it. That's what the scriptures tell us. But no, we don't want to lose our life. We just simply want to gain a better life. We want to be the best versions of ourselves. We want to do the best thing for ourselves. And so that's what we're going to do. We're just going to get all this information, not realizing that information does not transform. And sometimes it's the very information itself that's destroying you. Yes, there's information out there. And yes, the spirit is tap into the things of the spirit. And yes, psychics can tell you the future because they're tapping into knowledge and information of the spirit. But here's the problem is telling your future and telling you how things will turn out will not change the trajectory of your life and will not transform you. And in the end, you know the future and you know that the future will be hell for you. What's the point of knowing the future if you're not in Christ? What's the point of having all this spiritual information when you have no relationship and connection with God? What's the point of going to a psychic and going to a medium to tell you something that 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 God can reveal to you in just your relationship with him. Saul is so prideful. He would rather consult a medium than repent before the Lord. horoscopes, evoking spirits, psychics, Ouija boards. I challenge you right now. The most dangerous thing you could ever do is to enter into the spiritual realm without Christ as your covering. And there's some, there's some of you today some of you today who 
you can mark the day your anxiety began simply by the day that you went to a psychic. You can mark the day that you could not rest when you had engaged in spiritual activity that was demonic. You can mark for many of you right here who are listening going, you know what? Yeah, that's kind of around the time my anxiety started. My anxiety and my sleeplessness and my restlessness and the bad dreams and the suffocation at night. That all started after I went to a, a medium. It all started after I went to a psychic. That's actually where it happened. Yeah, that's where it happened. And here's the unfortunate reality is a psychic can only tell you the trajectory in the spirit, but only Jesus can change the trajectory in the spirit. Psychic will tell you where it's going, but only Jesus can change where it goes. And for Saul, he goes to the medium and the medium evokes the spirit of Samuel because the medium could do that. Incredible power when you think about it. Incredible spiritual power when you think about it. But it's a powerless power because it's a power that can do nothing. It's the funny thing about the devil. He's got powerless power. <laughs> He's got power that can't change anything, can't transform anything. Oh, but he can get revelation. Saul gets revelation about how things are going to happen. And yet the medium can do nothing to change it. It's not power. It's a powerless power. The medium tells him that this day tomorrow, he and his sons will be dead. Evoking the spirit of Samuel. And yet... Jesus can change the trajectory. Jesus, God, Yahweh, could have changed Saul's trajectory. But he just chose the information. And he moved on from it. He was not transformed. This is a difficult part of the scripture because we see a man who started so well and now has fallen into complete demise. Spiritual, emotional, physical. And now he's, we're seeing the end of his kingdom. If the psychic was so good, then why did he end in suicide? I mean, if the psychic had so much power, why did his sons die? This man cannot sleep, he cannot eat, he's lost it all, and he knows it's the end, and it's funny because he was hoping that God would change his mind, and yet no psychic can change the mind of God. 
And Saul had access to God. He could have gone to God. He, he could have, he could have come before him. It wasn't, I, w- I want everybody to understand this because we're going to be seeing a contrast between Saul and David. It wasn't because Saul sinned. If anything, we're going to see more of David's sins than Saul's sins. It was because of the orientation of his heart. Oh, David sinned over and over again. This guy is, we're going to learn David is nowhere near perfect. David is not a hero at all. So how is it that David can hear from God and come before God and Saul cannot? And the reason is because Saul's countenance, the orientation of his heart was not towards God. It was towards himself. So my prayer today is let us orient our heart towards God. Let us orient our heart towards God. David was a man after God's own heart. So David would run before God every time he was caught in this sin. He would run and he would repent and he would ask for forgiveness and he would weep and he'd be remorseful. David David wasn't perfect, but man, David was in the presence of God. Many of us, we've been looking for information and insight into how it is that we can get our breakthrough and come out. And God's just simply saying, come into my presence. Come into my presence. Saul has joined the wrong side of the battle. Saul is on the side of the battle now in God's story. Saul is on the battle. He's on the side of the battle of the enemy. Saul has joined the enemy. Saul is now part of the enemy's part of the story. And we know how it always ends for the enemy. The enemy has been defeated. When I say it's a powerless power, there is no power in it. There is no power in it. Power is the ability to affect change. No medium, no psychic, no horoscope, none of those things can actually change the trajectory of your life and your family. Only Jesus can do that. So I'm going to pray today that the Lord would break whatever chains have been have been wielded over those who have been influenced by demonic things. I'm going to close this prayer today praying for those who have been overly consumed by anxiety, who find themselves in a place of spiritual darkness and, and moral decline. I want to pray for those people right now who need the power of the blood of Jesus over them to come and to release them from the from the attack of the enemy, from the rules of the devil, from the lies of the enemy, to 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 cover them from the words of death that have been spoken by the evil spiritual forces. Father, as we come before you today, Lord, Lord, I ask, Lord, as we conclude this book, realizing, Lord, that the end of Saul's life was one seeking something other than you, 
seeking something beyond themselves, but not in you. And Lord, as they sought after the things beyond themselves, Lord God, we see how it ended for him. He lost his kingdom, lost his family. He lost it all. He lost his life. Father, as I come before you right now, Lord, there are those who are among us right now who have been oppressed by spirits, who are being oppressed by demonic forces, who have come before you today, Lord, asking, Lord, for forgiveness. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you've given us the privilege, Lord, to ask for forgiveness from you. Lord, to seek you and not to seek other things, to seek you and not to seek those things that the enemy tempts us with, but Lord, to find healing and restoration in you, Father. I come before you right now, Lord, asking, Lord, that you would loose them right now from the chains of the enemy, loose them from the lies of the enemy, loose them from the wiles of the devil. Father, I pray right now for anything that was put on them, Lord, by any spirit, Lord. We come against that right now in the name of Jesus. We declare healing. We declare victory. We declare breakthrough right now in the name of Jesus. We pray right now that every chain be broken in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you're bringing restoration to our heart and to our mind, and that we'll be renewed in you. And we say that in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, There are those of you here, and then I'm going to, I got to go, but there are those of you here who are fighting a spiritual battle. Um, you may see the Saul in the story and you may say, man, I, I, I empathize with Saul. And you may be fighting a spiritual battle. I want you to know something. And I want you to hear me very, very clearly. The enemy is a dog with no teeth. The enemy has no power. I'm going to say this. I don't want to, I want to make sure I say this in, in, in as lucid and as temperate as I can say this. The enemy has already lost the battle. So the battle that you're fighting is a battle of faith, not of power. The enemy has no power. The enemy has already been defeated. I'm going to say one thing because there's some people right now who are going, Lord, I need you to help me fight the enemy. There's nothing to fight anymore. The enemy has already lost. The enemy wants you to think that there's still a fight to fight. The enemy wants you to think that there's something you need to do to win the battle. And yet the battle has already been won. I have two examples for you on this. The first one is World War II. We know the decisive battle in Normandy was the battle that defeated the Nazis. And while the Nazis were defeated, the battle was already over. Does anybody understand that? So the battle was already over. The Allied forces had already won the battle. They won the World War, World War II. It was already done. They were already celebrating it. They were already writing out paperwork. It was done. It was a done deal, a done data. 
But even though the decisive battle had already been won, it took three weeks for the information to be delivered to all the territory. So while the battle and the war had already been won, while the war had already been won, there were still battles that were being fought in the outer regions for territory. It was already over. <laughs> and yet there were people who were fighting. And the only reason they were fighting was because of lack of information. The only reason why they were fighting was because they didn't get the news yet. And it took a messenger to show up to deliver the news that Hitler is dead. The battle is won. The war is over. And I've heard stories of what, would ha what happened around that time when people literally, as they were fighting each other, would just stop and just walk away. Because there was no battle to fight anymore because the war was already won. I hear stories of uh, the Holocaust when people would wake up and the soldiers just walked out. Now, mind you, there were people still being oppressed in those concentration camps, even though the battle was already won, even though the war was over. The only difference was they didn't have the information yet. They didn't know that the war was already won. So the soldiers kept oppressing and the Jews and, and there were other races as well. Anyone who wasn't Aryan white were also being oppressed and they were, they were experiencing the pain, the suffering, the killing, all that came with the concentration camp, all because of a lack of information. They hadn't gotten the news yet. And the moment the news report came, those concentration camp guards just walked out because now the people in there would know that the war has already been won. The enemy is counting on your ignorance. I'm talking to people right now who are going through spiritual oppression or going through a spiritual battle right now. The enemy is counting on your ignorance. I'm sorry, I'm just going, I'm being led by the spirits. So I know we've prayed and we're done, but I need to make sure you understand this. The enemy is counting on your ignorance. But as long as you don't know, he can continue to oppress you. But once you know that the war has already been won, there's nothing the enemy can do to you anymore. Did you know that spiritual battles come out of ignorance? not out of powerlessness. <sighs> Maybe we'll do a, step, a Bible study on spiritual warfare. <laughs> There's no such thing as spiritual warfare in Christ. There are spiritual battles, but the war has already been won. Sin has been defeated. Jesus paid it all. We have the victory to God 
be the glory. He said, we are more. He didn't say we will be more than conquerors. He said, we are more than conquerors. So anybody trying to give you all these things, these are the ways you fight. This is the way you fight the enemy. And this is, no, what, the, what you need to do is you need to just know that there is no war. The war is already over. So if there's any battle that's happening, it's cleanup. <laughs> it's cleanup. So what the enemy does is, is he attacks ignorant people. Because the people who know can't be oppressed. Case in point, Juneteenth. Juneteenth we celebrate as the, you know, as a day of independence for black people in the United States. I'd like to call it the day of information. The Emancipation, Emancipation Proclamation had already been written. It was already done. The, 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 um, the 13th Amendment had been passed. And while the 13th Amendment had been passed, there were people in the South who did not know. So because they did not know, they continued to live as slaves to slave owners. But once they received the information, they walked out. Juneteenth was the day that they found out they were free. Juneteenth is the day that black people found out that they were free. We need a spiritual Juneteenth. Maybe I'll preach a sermon on that. We need a spiritual Juneteenth. A day when people who've been living as slaves would wake up and find out we were free a long time ago. The enemy has no power over us, no control over us. The enemy cannot be, the enemy cannot win because the enemy has already been defeated. He's banking on your ignorance. So what I'm praying for you now is revelation that you would cease to be ignorant and to know that you have already won the battle.